Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me on Power Your Life today. And we just want to send out prayers and caring to all those people in need, especially in Texas right now. And thinking about that, oftentimes, whether it's a natural disaster, a relationship, not getting work done, a lot of different reasons, we we feel anxious and even sometimes depressed. And this can happen to the general public, to all of us at different times in our lives. And it also can happen to individuals, young adults, as well as children on the autism spectrum. And is it different? How do we handle it? And as parents and educators and also individuals ourselves, what do we need to do to really shift into a different way of thinking and a way to actually calm and create less overwhelm in our lives? And we have an expert here today, Dr. Lee A. Wilkinson, who's a nationally certified and licensed school psychologist, chartered psychologist, registered psychologist, and certified cognitive behavioral therapist, excuse me. He's an associate fellow of the British Psychological Society and provides consultation services and best practice guidance to school systems, agencies, advocacy groups, and professionals on a wide variety of topics related to children and youth with autism spectrum disorder. He's a university educator and school psychology trainer, and Dr. Wilkinson's research and professional writing has focused primarily on behavioral consultation and therapy and evidence-based practice in both assessment and intervention for autism spectrum disorder, otherwise known as ASD. Dr. Wilkinson is also the author of the award-winning book, A Best Practice Guide to Assessment and Intervention for Autism and Asperger's Syndrome in Schools and Overcoming Anxiety and Depression on the Autism Spectrum, a self-help guide using BT. He has also published numerous journal articles on these subjects and has been invited as a reviewer for journals such as the Journal of Remedial and Special Education, Journal of Child Psychology and Psychiatry, Learning and Individual Differences, and Autism, the International Journal of Research and Practice. Wow. Welcome, Dr. Lee Wilkins. (laughs) How are you? Very good. Thank you so much, Joanne. I appreciate that. It's impressive. It really is. (laughs) And it's a mouthful. (laughs) And I'm really very pleased to be here. Well, and I'm really very glad to have you. We've spoken before, and you are doing such wonderful work and making many kinds of gains with the individuals, not just children, but also young adults that you've been working with on the spectrum. And I want to hone in today on 
the anxiety and depression part because there's a lot going on in our world and a lot of things coming up and everybody experiences it. And yet many individuals on the autism spectrum may experience it differently or may not even be aware of what you know, of what they're going through. So firstly, um, what does it look like? What does having anxiety and depression look like for the general public and and also how is it different and is it different for for individuals on the spectrum yes good question um yes we as you said we all experience anxiety and depression in our day-to-day lives um it's generally when it when it reaches a point that it impairs our general functioning or our day-to-day work our our interpersonal relationships that we seek help um most of our attention is focused on children on the autism spectrum, and we haven't really uh, spent very much time investigating how young adults experience anxiety and depression. We do have some suggestion that they do experience it, uh, anxiety and depression much more intensely than, and I'll use the term typical rather than normal, individual. Um, unfortunately, um, there appears to be what I would call a mental health a mental, a mental health crisis um, facing adults, young adults on the autism spectrum. Um, having said Why that, do you say that? Um, some of the services that are typically available, um, let's say after high school for young adulthood, don't address the mental health needs of, of um, these folks on the spectrum. Um, either through lack of services, community services. Uh, there are many um, specialists and professionals who aren't experienced or, or don't have the training in um, providing mental health services. So um, I think, as I mentioned to you, sometimes we forget, and we spend a great deal of time focusing on children on the spectrum, and we've somehow not forgotten, but we, we really don't haven't paid attention that uh, these kids grow up to be adults, and uh, many experience anxiety and depression. Um, in fact, we know that up to 50% um, have report um, feeling depressed, have episodes of dep- depression um, and anxiety. So um, I think it's an issue and, and um, um, an area that uh, all of us need to address, certainly mental health professionals. So when we look at mental health and when we look at anxiety and depression, what are some of the the symptoms that that arise in young adults on the spectrum that that you know for parents and professionals to be aware of and even for the individuals going through it themselves because I think that as you said if it's things are interfering if our anxiety or worry or depression is interfering with our day-to-day lives, then, you know, we're having a a challenge here. So what are some clues that that something is awry? Mm -hmm. Um, Anxiety in particular might be manifested by um, avoidance of situations, um, refusal to participate in activities, um, isolation, I think we see that in a lot in a lot in young adults and kids too um, on the spectrum. Uh, very fearful. Uh, we see a lot of behaviors associated um, with fear. Um, depression can result in again isolation, uh, lack of involvement in activities, um, 
a withdrawal, uh, and we see it in our physical manifestations as well, and that's um, those stomach aches and digestional difficulties, headaches. So it, it's not only behavioral. We see anxiety problems and, and issues related to depression also related to um, or also manifested in, in physical symptoms. So I think parents and, and professionals uh, need to be aware of, of, of those general signs uh, but more importantly, just be aware that it is, is very possible for folks on, this, on the spectrum to, to be experiencing a high level of anxiety and depression, particularly in certain, circum, certain excuse me, circumstances um, that, that might produce anxiety and depression. That, that we so it can also affect... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say it could also affect... Yeah. Our eating habits and our sleep habits, you know, like like everything can really get upset. And like you said, parents and professionals really need need to be on the lookout for, for that because an individual may not necessarily, any of us may not necessarily be aware that, hey, we're going through a depression, a, a little depressed episode or something, and we we may need some extra help. Yes, exactly. Right. And I think often um, young adults on the spectrum aren't able to express their fears, their anxieties. Uh, they may have difficulties expressing how they feel. Um, that, that's one of, the, um, one of the features we often see in, in folks on the spectrum is having difficulty expressing their emotions, identifying their emotions. So uh, we need to be aware of that as well. Now, you do a lot with cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT. Can you explain to our listeners kind of what that is and how that works with with people and also, you know, with, with all people and also honing in on on individuals on the spectrum? Right. Yeah, I can, <clears throat> excuse me, give you a brief overview. Uh, CBT or cognitive behavior. Yeah, we could use the whole book on that, right? <laughs> yeah. There's been, there's been many, many. Uh, the CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, has been a, um, considered an evidence-based intervention for, um, for children and, and, uh, and adolescents on the autism spectrum. And one of the tenets, the basic tenet of CBT, is that we feel the way we think, all right, and that past or present events contribute to our emotions, but it's really our perceptions, our beliefs, or ideas about these events that influence our emotional responses. Um, and again, just briefly, we, we sometimes talk about the ABC framework of CBT, where A stands for uh, an event or a situation that occurs in our lives. B is our belief system, how we feel about that, our thoughts, our cognitions or attitudes, perceptions, so forth. And then C, which is the emotional and behavioral consequences that occur as a result of A. Um, so I, I often say to people, you know, mind your ABCs. Remember your ABCs in this regard is, is that um, it's really our belief system that um, results in our in our emotions and our feelings, not necessarily the activating event. It's what we think about that event. It's how we perceive it. It's how we frame it that results in um, how we're going to feel and what our behavior is. 
So how we perceive an event, how we how we look at an event in our thoughts, and which also, as you said, um, works on our feelings, and then lastly, on how we respond to it, or act towards it, or with it, or or in it, is is really the the most telling aspect. You deal, you work a lot, like you had said, with with a lot of children and adults who have issues with their self esteem and just feeling good about themselves. How does that factor into anxiety, or does it? Yeah, it does. I I think I I, I often differ, differentiate self acceptance from self esteem, self self esteem, and self concept. I think self-esteem and self-concept really relies on what others think of us, how uh, others evaluate, or even how we evaluate ourselves. So sometimes when we say, you know, that person has low self-esteem, often what we're implying is they, they don't value their achievements or or their actions positively, or others don't as well. Uh, Self-acceptance, on the other hand, is, is I think a matter of accepting yourself, no matter what your, no matter how you perform or how you achieve. You know, but it really doesn't mean self-esteem or self-confidence. Uh, again, because these terms kind of imply you accept yourself because you perform or behave in a in a certain way. Um, I'd like to think of self-acceptance means that you. Non-judgmentally, except who you are, without rating or evaluating yourself. And I know that's easier said than done. But um, I think when we accept ourselves non-judgmentally, we accept our own thoughts, we accept our own feelings, we accept our own actions, and that includes our own problems. Um, we we really uh, accept our, ourselves, and we're more willing to accept and tolerate others as well. So I think there's a there's a difference between self-acceptance and self-esteem. And what I try to teach people is to um, accept who you are with your gifts and your liabilities, uh, your strengths and your weaknesses, and accept who you are um, rather than how other people are judging you. And uh, you know, as as you said, though, that's that's easier. <laughs> stated than than actually acting out because a lot of how we feel as as you also stated, Dr. Wilkinson, a lot of how we feel about ourselves is related to how other people have perceived us and and we kind of have built that personal framework around what other people have told us about who we are and how good we are or how 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 good we're not, and we've kind of lived our lives that way. So how do we get to that place of self-acceptance and how does somebody on the autism spectrum get there when, you know, especially when, when we've been put down or, or again, we're, we, we're lesser in somebody else's eyes? How do we get away from that and just see ourselves without any of that stigma or anything attached to it? It's certainly a challenge, a challenge. and, and uh, one thing you mentioned, for example, that we've either been taught or, or, or you know, that we've um, learned to um, respond to how others, whether others accept us or not or, or, or whether they value what we do. 
Uh, one of the things I focus on is something I called, and we all do this, by the way, what I call unhelpful thinking habits. And these are ways of thinking. And um, I've outlined in, in one of my books 10 unhelpful thinking habits. Uh, you can call them styles or, or whatever, and we all do them. Um, folks on the spectrum tend to engage in what I call demand thinking. This is um, shoulds, shoulds, mm. musts. In other words, I must do this correctly. I must not fail. Or others must not treat me poorly. Um, the world must, tr must treat me kindly. Uh, again, we all engage in that to some extent. Or I should have done it this way. Uh, it shouldn't, this shouldn't happen to me. Which creates, creates anxiety. Okay. You know, as you said, yeah. sorry, as you said, it's yeah. not just people on the spectrum. I work with a lot of people who, who, you know, I should have done this better. Why didn't I do this? What, what's wrong with me? And, and I hear that from adults who presumably are typical, and yet the, because of the challenges or the things that are not so perfect – that's their exclamation about what's going on and also, <clears throat> excuse me, about who they are. Correct. I don't know how we get away from that. Well, one thing I do is, is and this is regards to CBT also, is um, in terms of self-help, is ask people to um, uh, actually write down or track their unhelpful thinking habits to become aware when they're engaging in demand thinking and to ask them to think of another more appropriate thought, okay? Um, again, this takes practice, but it's becoming aware of our own thinking patterns. Uh, our, our thoughts are automatic we, for the most part. You know, when we engage in uh, demand thinking or all-or-nothing thinking, uh, our thoughts tend to be automatic. And so we don't always think before we think. So um, I usually ask people, well, let's, you know, let's look at the, your unhelpful thinking habits or patterns that you engage in. Um, uh, let's chart them. And then when you catch yourself engaging in this, think of a helpful alternative way of thinking. And so um, it, it's a matter of psychoeducation, we can call it that, or it's a matter of teaching. It's also becoming um, aware of your own thinking patterns and thinking habits. You know, um, you have to be, like you said, you have to have some level of conscious awareness to do that, and it takes <laughs> it takes practice. I know a lot of people oh, yeah. don't like the practice, but that's what changes, as you said, that's what changes the behavior, Dr. Wilkinson. I know when I was going through something like that early on in growing up, I had to actually not only change the um, thought, but because everything for me was very visual, I had to create a new associate, a new visual association with a new thought because the visual was more powerful, for, more mm -hmm. potent for me, and more disturbing when it with the thought, if that makes sense to you. Oh, it does. And I, I think um, that happens not infrequently with, with folks. You know, when you have a thought, you often sometimes have a visualization with it. Um, and it can be, it can very, it can be very disturbing. Um, 
another unhelpful thought for folks on the spectrum is all or nothing thinking, or I call it black and white thinking. It's mm. either this way or no way. And um, that's often a feature of, of um, an autism spectrum condition. And uh, that can be very, um, very upsetting. Well, why isn't it done this way? It has to be done this way. It can't be done any other way. And that results in frustration, anxiety, and, and also depression. So um, that, that's another unhelpful thinking habit. Uh, another would be a, a, what I call emotional reasoning, and that's confusing fact with feeling. And an example of that is, I feel really bad about this, so it must be bad. And that's not always the case. I feel bad about the situation, so the situation must be bad. Or I feel, about, I feel bad about myself um, when, I, when I engage in this activity, so therefore this activity must be bad. So it's, it's kind of confusing, confusing how you feel with perhaps the, the, the um, more realistic appraisal of the situation. And lastly, one is, that I see a lot is called awfulizing or catastrophizing. <laughs> It's an interesting word. I see that a lot in a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, boy, yes, and we all do it um, at one time or another. But it tends to be, uh, uh, I see it a lot in, in young adults on the spectrum, is, is, oh, my God, this is the worst thing in the world. Uh, it couldn't, why this is happening to me? It's just absolutely the worst-case scenario that could ever happen in life. And, of course, it's not. Um, and, and I ask, you know, I ask them that when you engage in this thought, think about it. Is this actually the worst thing in the world? Step back and, and think about it. Um, are you awfulizing? Are you making the situation really worse than it is? And it, it might not be a pleasant situation. I don't mean that. But are you actually awfulizing it? Are you actually making it to be worse than it is? Um, which, again, creates anxiety, can, creates depression, um, results in avoiding situations. Well, I'm not going to get involved with that because that's the worst thing that could ever happen to me before, and it was terrible, awful, and I couldn't stand it. And, um, you know, when we get back to demand thinking, it's, it's awful, I couldn't stand it, it shouldn't happen to me, I can't do it. And so, we, you know, we get involved in a cycle. I call a vicious cycle of anxiety and depression. We, we have a, a negative thought, uh, we feel bad about it, uh, our behavior we avoid. And, and we all know that the more we avoid anxiety-producing situations, we get, we get the temporary relief, but the next time our anxiety is even higher. So it just, you know, we get this vicious cycle. Right. That's why I was laughing because if you if you try yeah. to do that, it just it just gets it steeps up and and brings on more anxiety. You know what we're talking about is not always easy because I remember, and I'm just going to go back to to an, to my own incident to help people a little bit. When I took on a lot of my mother's fears about driving, and I remember the first time I was actually allowed to drive, I passed a test. I was in the car, and my foot was like shaking on the accelerator I, I and all i was seeing was my car crashing cuz my mother instilled how dangerous it was to drive on the freeway and da, da, da. and you know yeah it is but <laughs> everybody yeah. has to do it at some point if they're you know need to drive and it took me a lot of 
willpower and strength to get past that feeling that was associated with it, the fear, the feeling that come, came on so strongly to be able to, I mean, I created another image of, of like a cartoon in my head and I said something calming and I began to use that kind of constantly until I was able to drive without my foot shaking like crazy on the accelerator but as you said it takes a lot of practice and when those thoughts come through you know even when I work with adults when those thoughts come through they're powerful they almost are feeling to the person who's experiencing those thoughts that this is like the voice of the voice, the voice of authority, and it's really not, but it, but you have to get to a place where you can kind of see yourself above, not really above, but stronger, maybe that's a better word, stronger than that voice, than that thought. Yeah, and I think you're right. I, I think, you know, sometimes we just believe our thoughts. We accept them as authority, as you mentioned, you know, we, without questioning them. And um, <clears throat> it can be a difficult task and, and um, uh, one that needs a great deal of practice to, to stop a moment and, and question our thoughts, to not accept them as uh, fact. Um, you know, so I've heard people say, well, don't believe everything uh, you think. And uh, <laughs> right. I think, yeah, I think to some extent that's true. Um, and you're right, we, we, we typically don't stop and question our thoughts. Uh, but I do think that um, we, need to, we need, probably need to learn to do that, particularly with those thoughts that we've identified that create anxiety and, and, and depression, um, when we feel our anxiety, when we have our physical manifestations of anxiety, you know, we have our headaches or stomach aches or um, our lack of appetite or overeating or not sleeping, is... Um, <clears throat> uh, thinking about uh, what might be creating our anxiety with thoughts and, and uh, revisiting those thoughts and, and thinking of, of maybe an alternative way of, of, um, of thinking or a more realistic way of, of evaluating our thoughts. Again, as you said, it's, it's, it, it can be a monumental task, but I think for, for folks who are experiencing a great deal of anxiety and depression, that is, is, is one way of, um, of ultimately re- relieving that anxiety and depression. And, uh, oh, I agree. I, I, and I think yeah. it's, the mo- it's a very powerful way. I'm just saying that, you know, yeah. like now, I can drive a car and I don't have anything like that, but it took a lot of practice. It was yes. worth it to silence that thought that I was going to be in a car crash every time I, you know, I was behind the wheel. And I don't have those thoughts. It's But... I had to take the time and the energy to do that. And, and so people, a lot of people think, okay, I'll just do it once. And, and no, right. like you said, it takes practice. But if you want to get out of it, and there's a freedom in not having those thoughts in my mind. I think that's an excellent point, freedom. Um, and you mentioned uh, imagery too. I think visual imagery and self-talk are, are very good um, uh, techniques or um, you know or, or approaches to use when when dealing with un, unpleasant or or, um, or unhelpful you know thinking uh, styles. 
that that can be very helpful too. Um, so tell but, us a little bit about some of the when you you're working with people and you're helping them come up with or teaching them about their own self interventions that they can utilize when they're not with you. What are some what are some you mentioned the visualization, but how do you how do you help them get to that place to be able to do that but on their own? Well, one thing I do talk about is is self-talk, and we all do this. And <clears throat> Many of us um, and, and many folks who, who with high levels of anxiety and, and depression uh, tend to be negative self-talkers and really don't realize it. Um, there's little voice in our heads <laughs> that uh, have a running dialogue very often. And if we think <laughs> about it, we often engage in negative self Well, you know, this is not, you know, this, this person shouldn't be driving that way. You know, they're a terrible driver, and this is terrible. And I can't stand the grocery store because I don't want to wait in line, and this is terrible and terrible, terrible. And we engage in negative, a lot of negative self-talk. And, and also negative self-talk about ourselves and certainly others. And I, I ask people to stop and once again analyze their thoughts. Are you engaging, are you a negative self-talker? If you are, the more often you do it, the more apt you're just involved in a habit. And you need to break that habit. Okay, perhaps you don't enjoy this particular activity. It's something you need to do, you, 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 you have to do. Um, change some of that negative, those negative thoughts uh, to either a neutral thought or try to think of something positive about that particular situation. Uh, you need to break that negative, that negative chain, that negative, um, the negative thinking, and that negative self-talk. And what I often have um, our clients do is write down when they're aware of their negative self, uh, self-thinking, to write down some of those negative self-thoughts, and actually think of an, an alternative. Again, this takes some work, and unfortunately. Um, I won't say most of us, but a large number of us have what I call low frustration tolerance. We want something to be done immediately. And you right. mentioned before, well, I've, tri- I've tried this and it didn't work. Okay, well, you know, that didn't work, so let's try something else. Uh, unfortunately, that is a problem when it comes to well, CBT or, or any, uh, any other type of therapy or any other type of intervention is you have to get over that low frustration tolerance. And I do talk about that in one of my books also, is, is all of us experience that, all of us engage in that. But if you're <clears throat> going to move forward and really challenge your, your unhelpful thinking and your irrational thoughts, whatever we want to call them, to change your thinking and to change your behavior, you have to recognize your low frustration tolerance. And you have to deal with that. Because if you don't, nothing changes. And um, so that that's one issue um, I, I think that that I mentioned to clients. Um, now what right about, before we start, yeah. No, I was going to say, what about? Okay. Go, go ahead before we start. No, that's interesting. Let's do that, and then yeah, a couple, even before we even before we start, um, during and after. <laughs> is uh, frequently mentioned low frustration tolerance. We all experience in every parts of our lives. And, um, but it, it, becomes, it can become very, um, it can sabotage uh, any progress you've made. Uh, 
And that's why I bring it up frequently. Because even if you've made progress and you, you begin feeling, well, okay, I've made progress, now I can stop, that's low frustration tolerance. Once you've made progress, you, you need to set goals, obviously, and move forward, move forward, move forward. And because you've made some progress and just say, okay, well, that's it, I'm going to move on to something else, I'm, you know, that, that's fine. Uh, that's also low frustration tolerance. So it's about sticking with it, even when we think that that it's not necessarily that that we're not we're not going through it anymore, because sometimes it gets more subtle. I know that <laughs> that when I was working with those thoughts, and I'm using me as an example because I kind of studied myself in that way. When I was working with those thoughts and thought they were quiet for a while, if I was tired or more upset about something, those thoughts would like spill out as though I had never worked with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, you're absolutely right. They, they can become, they're automatic. And, uh, and I think you're correct. At times when we're, you know, when we're perhaps tired, a little fatigued, or mentally exhausted, or so forth and so on, um, they tend to return. Uh, they're, they're kind of there. And um, uh, it can be a challenge um, recognizing them because, once again, they're automatic and they just kind of sneak into our everyday existence. But they need to be tamed. <laughs> that's, yes. that's the way it Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, particular, particularly when you're, you know, we, experience high, we all experience anxiety and depression, low mood or whatever, um, but it's when, when that anxiety reaches a high level that it, it once again interferes with our everyday performances that we really need to, to, to really take a look at um, um, our ways of thinking, you know, our, our ways of coping, because um, uh, once we're involved in that vicious cycle again that I mentioned before of anxiety and depression, it, it will not be broken un, un, unless we, we, uh, we do something different. I totally agree. How does visualization or using imagery work with <clears throat> people on the autism spectrum and just in terms of really using these, these self-help tools to get through the anxiety? With imagery, what I, I ask, um, I often will ask people to do is to sit and imagine a situation that's uncomfortable to you. Uh, meeting new people, um, let's say at, at the office, or meeting a new client, or, or something that makes you um, uncomfortable, something that makes you anxious. So visualize that. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to we're going to um, discuss uh, ways of dealing with that anxiety. What thoughts did you have while you were visualizing um, your, your discomfort? Okay, was it that, um, oh, they won't like me, I can't do this? Uh, what were your thoughts? And lo and behold, we're going to find automatic unhelpful thinking habits. So let's address those. Let's think of a more helpful, um, a more, a more um, realistic alternative. And let's talk about that. Okay, next, visualize that same situation. And rather than um, thinking about, you're unhelpful or using an unhelpful thinking habit, think about one of the alternatives we talked about. Imagine yourself thinking, well, you know, I don't know if this person likes me or not. Um, that's kind of uh, not an unhelpful way of thinking. I'm just going to 
think of an alternative thought. Well, this person probably probably does like me. I'm a like I'm a likable person. There's no reason why they shouldn't like me. And so I'll continue on. Um, I'm not sure that's a good example, but it, it's it's getting them to visualize, to think about in their mind's eye, to think about um, uh, dealing in, dealing with a more realistic situation, but visualizing it, not just talking about it, but actually taking a real-life situation and changing the picture. That's what I like to call it. Let's, let's change the channel um, let, to something more positive, some, to something more realistic. We, and I also tell people, you know, it's not that you shouldn't feel disappointed. It's not that you should feel, shouldn't feel um, concerned. We want to change those feelings of, of anxiety and uh, despair and, and so forth to feelings of um, concern to disappointment. It's okay to feel disappointed. We, all, we should all feel that way at times. It's okay to be um, concerned. Uh, what we don't want to feel is overwhelming anxiety that impairs our performance. So I kind of focus on that and use, try, to get, try to get the person to visualize a more realistic pattern and a more real, realistic emotion that comes from changing their thoughts. You know, this is such an important topic, and like you said, I mean, we we our our population on the autism spectrum is growing into you know many of these children are are growing into adults, and this is something very very important that really needs to be addressed. And I don't know that everybody, you know, I that people are talking about it. So I think it's so important that you are and that your books are addressing this because I think we need to be aware that this is what's going on, not just in the general population, but also on, with people with, with ASD. So thank you for your wisdom and what you're doing with this. And tell people, Dr. Wilkinson, how they can get a hold of your books and find out more about what you're doing and get a hold of you. Okay. you can. Um, my books are are available on Amazon, so you can always go to Amazon. I do have an author's page on Amazon as well, so you can certainly access that. Um, I do have an author's blog, which is bestpracticeautism.com. You can go there, and that also has information about my books. Uh, I routinely post um, articles, um, both from the research and from my own my own experiences, um, that is, that is hopefully informational, so you can you can go there for some information again, uh, also about about my books. Um, my Your publisher, website? Uh, my website, yeah, that was my website, bestpracticeautism.com. Perfect. Yeah, you can. And your publisher, my publisher, uh, one of my publishers is Jessica Kingsley Publishers, and. Um, they have offices both in the UK and here in Philadelphia. Um, if you're wonderful, uh, yeah. So and, and uh, so, what do you want to leave our listeners with regarding anxiety, depression, adults with the on the autism spectrum, or anything that you choose? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's estimated that more than fifty thousand adolescents. With wow. with autism, yeah, we're, are going to turn 18 this year. 
So I'd like people to think, uh, both in the general public and certainly professionals and community uh, community activists, uh, advocates, and so forth, is is that um, that's a large population transitioning into young adulthood, and that and that these folks um, are facing considerable obstacles and challenges, not only mental health challenges and issues, uh, but independent living, uh, employment, so forth and so on, and, and that we need to take a closer look, a better look, at the services we're providing this, um, this group of young adults. Wonderful. I think that's so important, and you are such a valuable person in this, too, because you are helping people understand what people, what individuals on the spectrum are going through, and that's that's important. So thank you so much for everything you do, for your wisdom and the wonderful writings and the wonderful results that you're having with people on the spectrum, and for being a beautiful guest on Power oh, Your thank Life. You. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I really appreciate the opportunity to um, to discuss this very important issue. Thanks again. My pleasure, Lee. Take care. You too. Thanks. Now we have a special guest tomorrow um, that is the last day in August, August 31st, Ron Sanderson. It's a show, and he actually is on the spectrum, and he's going to talk about the challenges that he underwent as a kid and also as an adult. He's now married, he teaches, and still has challenges. But like Dr. Wilkinson said, how he deals with them, how we work with them through our talking, through our thoughts, is very, very important. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing today, we all have thoughts that that kind of doubt who we are or doubt what we're doing, remember what Dr. Wilkinson said is take a moment when you see those thoughts or sense those thoughts like running through your mind to kind of step back and shift it. And it does take practice, but as I know from personal example and from a personal experience that that when it works it's a beautiful thing so try it because you are an incredibly powerful being and bless everybody take a wonderful day wherever you are a wonderful evening and thanks for joining us on power your life you've been listening to the power your life radio show with host and author dr joanne white Listen often and spread the word about the Upbeat Show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.